Amen. What is a mission statement? I recently was talking to someone about this and I did a little bit of thinking about it. And I thought to myself, what exactly did it mean um, to have a mission statement? And there are many different ways that we can think about it and there are many different ways to form it. And I suppose there's not really any definite answer on how to do it. But the one thing that stands out from it is that it's something which is necessary in order to understand the purpose or the meaning behind why some organization is there, is going through whatever its business is, or somebody is there providing whatever service they are providing. And as we come, and as I was thinking about this, my mind was drawn here to Matthew chapter 1 and the verse 21. And I'm not uh, signifying here that um, the name Jesus, we can think of it as the mission statement for Jesus' life. I, I'm not going to go into that kind of aspect here. But it cannot be denied as we come to this verse that Jesus was called this specifically because that was his purpose for coming here to earth. The purpose of Jesus Christ coming into this world is stated here. He shall save his people from their sins. And so if we think of it in terms of a mission statement, there's a few different lessons that we can learn here and we can apply to this scripture. And the first thing is that any kind of a mission statement has to be something which is very simple. It has to be simple. And isn't this such a simple verse? There's not one in this building who cannot understand this. There's not one in this congregation who any of these words are going to trip up. He shall save his people from their sins. As I say that, even the boys and girls can grasp that message. He shall save his people from their sins. And we think about those different words that are there. We think about what they mean to us. And even though we can understand the meaning very simply, we maybe don't want to consider it. Maybe what we're being tripped up with isn't the English, but instead it is the meaning behind the words. And if we think about some of these words, we can think firstly of, of sin, sins. And this word to us means uh, the things which we have done in life which we either shouldn't have done, or the things which we have done in life which we should have done. They are the wrongdoings that we see in the world around us, and uh, quite honestly, they're more easy to point out in others than they are to point out in our own lives. Sin is something which is very apparent when we're looking at it. And yet whenever we're engaging in it, we excuse it away. Or we try to think of a reason to not see the, 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 the uh, seriousness of it. Or we uh, come up with some reason to uh, say, well, it's fine that I'm engaged in this. You know, uh, I'll, I'll make up for my mistakes. I'll come up with all these excuses, I'll do better, I'll have uh, a life which will be lived better and will make up for all the wickedness that I have inside myself. But sin is something which the scriptures tell us is in everyone's life. It says in Romans chapter 3 verse 23 that all have sinned. No one escapes sin. It's something that's in all of our lives. And even as a Christian we need to remember that. It's still an ongoing battle. It's something which we cannot ever get rid of until the Lord returns in triumph. We have sin in our lives at all points and times, even from the very youngest. 
You don't have to teach a child to sin, as we're all very aware who have children. They know what is wrong. You say to them, and you, you say their name uh, many times. I have two children, Elijah and Aphia. And if you say to Elijah and Aphia their name, immediately after they've done something that they shouldn't have done, they know. They know, yep, that, that was something wrong, and that they'll maybe hide in a different room, or they'll run the other direction. They're very aware of what's right and what's wrong. And as an adult, as we grow older, we sometimes aren't as, as clever as those little children. Those little children who can see the sin very plainly. We sometimes can explain it away or we can get, uh, think different things around it. And yet it is an obvious thing which is in everyone's life. All have sinned. You know, if we think back uh, to the fall... That was what was put uh, into mankind. That was uh, what happened when mankind fell. They obtained the knowledge of good and evil. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1 and the verse 18. And he says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. We are sinners. We are unrighteous. But we have the truth. We hold the truth. We know what is good and what is evil. We don't have to be explicitly told that it's wrong to go out and to kill a man. We don't have to be explicitly told that it's wrong to leave our marriage. No matter what excuses we can come up with, deep down, every sinner knows that it's wrong. And tonight, as you're listening, I don't know where you're at. I recognize quite a few faces, but not all. I don't know where you're at with the Lord, but maybe there's sin lingering there which you have for too long excused or tried to turn your back on. Or maybe it's something which uh, you think you're getting away with. There's an awful lot of Christians and there's an awful lot of sinners uh, today who think they're getting away with their sin because nothing bad's happening. They do not realize the end that there is when it comes to sin. The fact that the scriptures tell us the wages of sin are death. They're misery. Sin is something which cannot be escaped. We are all born with it. We're shaping with it. In iniquity we're shaping. And we cannot depart from it of our own accord. And we will constantly have this in our lives. And one of the wonderful things that the Lord has done even though we have a knowledge of good and evil, is that he's also provided his holy book. This is what we come and we look at and we use for our reference for our life. And James says in his book, in James chapter 1, and the verses uh, 22 and 23, uh, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in a glass. He beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. You see, the Lord hasn't just left us to try and figure out what's good and evil by ourselves. He has given us his revealed, his inspired word to show us the way. To show us our own sinfulness. And of course, as even uh, if you're in Sunday school as a little child, you'll have learnt the Ten Commandments. And they show things which uh, the way we are supposed to learn or uh, live. Um, sorry supposed to live our lives and they show us how we have failed 
against a holy God. And maybe you read down through that list and you think, oh, I, I haven't done maybe half of those things in my life. I haven't done, you know, I've never killed someone. I've been very faithful. You know, I, I, I'm not someone who, who's jealous. I just get on with life. And yet then we turn to the Sermon on the Mount. And we turn to the Lord Jesus, how he reveals to us that even if we do it in thought, we have sinned. And I'm afraid there you've been tripped up. For there's not a person in this world who can say that they have not sinned in thought. There's not anybody in this room that can say that they have not uh, maybe had some hatred or dislike towards another person. Maybe they have. <coughs> you have been uh, faithful in your marriage and yet at some point in time in your life you have looked after another that is not yours. There is those who will try and lead a good life, holy, uh, in, in the terms of being separate from uh, alcohol and drugs and all the things in the world that are seen as, as visible sins. And yet their hearts cannot escape sin. Your heart tonight, it's not escaped sin. It's there. And the Lord tells us, that as long as there's sin in our lives, we're lost. We're on a road to a place which is full of torment. Hell, which is a pit of fire, where we will spend all of eternity as punishment for those sins. And so we have that wonderful word in our text tonight. And that is the word save. You see, if there is a lost people, if there is a people who uh, are on the road to destruction, they're going to need somebody to save them. They're going to need somebody to turn them and to rescue them. And even if they're so blind that they don't know that they need rescued, it doesn't take away the need for it. Even if they won't accept it, it doesn't take away the fact that there is a requirement for a saviour to come in to rescue us. And it is a mercy that God, God sent down his son to save his people from their sins. He sent down his son to come into this world to live a perfect life. And he called him Jesus he wasn't secretive about it. He literally called his son Jesus. This is why Jesus was sent to save his people from his sins. This is the solution to the sin problem. It's my son who will die for your sins. And you know, we, we should be very grateful and thankful for the mercy that God shows upon each one of us. For even if you're sitting here tonight, you have seen God's mercy. You have seen God's grace and God's help. The scripture tells us in Psalm chapter 103 verse 8 that God, he is slow to anger. And sometimes when we think of God's wrath, we can get this picture in our minds of, of a man. Uh, and I'm talking about trying to illustrate what God's wrath is. I'm not saying that God is a man. 
we can get a picture in our minds of a man with a short temper. He's really cross and is getting all fired up and is, is shaking his hands and it's just at the, the twist of some uh, person doing something trivial and they're, they're really getting wound up. But that's not what God's wrath is. God's wrath is just. It's something which is slow, but it's something which is certain. And if we continue to rebel against God as all who sin do, his wrath will come and it will come justly and fully on that final judgment day and so we must be very thankful that God is slow to anger for the fact that even you sinner tonight are sitting here with denying Christ as you walk through the doors of this church as you see the scripture text as you hear the message being preached the fact that you're able to get out of your bed into this house is a mercy from God. You might want to deny it. But God is the God who created all things, is in control of all things, and in a moment could take your life from you. And yet he continues to have mercy. Does that not humble you? Do you not sit there and wonder how God, who, who you're just disregarding, Maybe you're thinking you're going to last for a bit longer and turn to the Lord in your final few days. Do you not be humbled to think that he continues to have mercy even though you hate him? Even though you've turned your back on him? And yet he sent his son and he called him Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Another couple of things from this, this verse is the specificness of it. You know, it doesn't say here that he shall save people from their sins. And so that is telling us that there is some sort of requirement in order. Uh, there's some sort of uh, division between those who are saved from their sins and those who aren't. And the scriptures are very clear that the difference between this is those that call upon the name of the Lord and those that don't. Many times it's repeated that the Lord Jesus Christ, he came down and he died to save his people from their sins. And he will only save those that call upon the name of the Lord. Romans chapter 10 and the verse 13. Well-known verses to many of you and you've maybe heard them so many times and yet you have ignored them. You haven't heeded the call of God. Whosoever, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In John chapter 3 verse 16 it tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus will only save his people from his sins. He will only save those who will call upon him. And it's not enough to have a knowledge that Jesus did this. It's not enough to know that Jesus existed and that he died on a cross. We must come and humble ourselves and ask forgiveness. We must acknowledge that he is Jesus. We must acknowledge that he is the only solution to the sin that is in our lives. 
And that is the only way that we can get down that narrow road. The only way that we can be saved from our sins is by acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord of all. It's by trusting in the precious blood. You keep trusting in yourself, you're not going to get anywhere. You keep trusting in the things that you're doing, in God's uh, hopeful mercy. You may even be trusting that he's slow to anger. That when he looks at your life, he, he won't get so wound up about it. That your good will outweigh the bad. But none of those things will save people from their sins. It's only Jesus. Only the one who lived a perfect life could be a substitute for our imperfect wickedness. And so, when we come to the word, when we come to this most precious name, when you hear of Jesus Christ being proclaimed, you must acknowledge your wickedness. You must say to God himself for forgiveness. You cannot do it any other way. And even as a Christian, sometimes we can get caught, and I know I've done this myself, in a little trap where we think we've got to make up for the mistakes we've made. We can get caught up on a little trap where we have trusted so wholeheartedly in the Lord for salvation at the very beginning. And yet as we live our lives, we're trying to, in our own might, do better and be better and be stronger uh, and, and get rid of all the mistakes and push them down. But can I tell you tonight, Christian, the message of the gospel isn't just for the sinner who's becoming repentant. It's for your entire life. Repentance needs to happen every day. Humility needs to happen all the time. We need to trust in the blood at every stage of our life. It never grows old. It's a story which is so sweet and which we should want to hear often. As a blessing to have the gospel preached every week. We're not dealing with specific topics every week that are different and different and different and forgetting about the gospel. No, we, we go in and we delve with the depth of the scripture which is necessary, but we also remember the wonderful, marvelous mercy of the cross. It's not to be forgotten, Christian. The final thing that I see in this lovely little phrase is the surety of it. And that's a wonderful thing when we're dealing with God. When we're dealing with someone who is in control of all things. Who knows all things. Who is all powerful. Is that he can make a promise which will never be broken. Never. When we trust in Jesus Christ. When we come to the one who will save his people from their sins. The word that is used here it says for he shall save his people from their sins. There's no doubt there. It's an absolute certainty that if you come and you call upon the name of the Lord, he will save you. If you repent, 
If you turn from your sins, the scriptures tell us that he will hold us in the palm of his hand. It tells us that we are considered as the apple of his eye, a very, very precious thing to him, that he will never forsake, never leave, never fail. And you know, that's something that we can't even say about ourselves. You might be trusting in yourself tonight. And it's something which you will have to admit, you cannot say that you've never let yourself down. I can't say that. There's never been a time in your life where you've looked back and went like, that was the wrong way to handle that situation. I did, I said the wrong thing. I reacted in the wrong way. At the time, it maybe felt really just. But now looking back, you're saying, I let myself down. But Jesus Christ doesn't let us down. He never makes mistakes. And so when we come to a promise that's this sure, it's a marvelous thing because we know that we are held and we are kept. And because God is in control and over all things, we know that we will be kept right until the end of time. In fact, for all of eternity in glory, we will be kept. And we will be with Jesus there. It is a marvelous simple statement all these words are something which we can understand there's great comfort in them there's great help in them but a couple of last things that brought to my mind is that well a mission statement the main reason of having one is because it gives meaning it gives meaning to either whatever that person's doing or or whatever that service is being provided and it gives a reason so that when someone is going about their daily job or their daily doing or other people are looking on, they can immediately and quickly see why they're doing what they're doing. And so that means when we come through the entirety of the Old and the New Testament, the entirety of the Scriptures, and we look at all those things that are happening, we can realize that in God's plan, the reason for Jesus' life is so that he can save his people from their sins. The reason why the Lord Jesus gave up the riches of heaven and left the glory of the angels and came down to earth was to save his people from their sins. The reason why the Lord Jesus came and why he healed many, why he raised many from the dead, why he preached that sermon on the mount, all these things that we associate with Christ's life on earth. Why was he doing it? So he could save his people from their sins. The reason why he let himself be taken, be judged by wicked men, have to drag a cross even though he wasn't fit for it, and then be nailed to that cross and hung there. We can't, we can't really begin to imagine what that was. Can't really begin to understand how anybody could do it even by chance. And yet he was doing it. Christ Jesus was doing it. To save his people from their sins. 
He did it with purpose. He did it with conviction. He did it knowing and loving those of his who needed saving, who needed a saviour, who would call upon his name and need his presence as they walked their life. You know, as we think of all these different things, it kind of helps also to give meaning to some of these things that we see and we read uh, throughout, especially the Gospels. One of the things that struck me is whenever we think of how the Lord Jesus came down and and he healed those who were sick and he raised those who were dead. And when he was doing all of that, he was showing his power over sin. You know, sometimes we can just associate sin um, with uh, what's in our hearts. But sin is more than that. It's the entirety of the curse. It's disease. It's natural disasters. It's death. It's all these things which are misery to us in this life. And in his ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ showed his power and his ability to save from each one of those aspects of the curse. He healed the sick. He calmed the storm. He raised those who were dead, physically dead, to show us he could save his people from their sins, to show his power over Satan and death and hell. And he was then able to go to the cross and tell those that he met again after he raised from the dead that they could go forth and preach the name of Jesus because he would save people from their sins. What an amazing Christ we can look to. There's no story, there's no myth even greater than that of Jesus Christ. There's no tale or anything that we can think of in all of history. They all pale in significance to what Jesus done. To choose to go through Hitho's life and be subjected to the miseries of sin when he was free from it. The miseries of the curse. Jesus did not sin. We'll clarify that. But he was there and he suffered in their hunger. He suffered the pain of the cross. And he chose to do it because he wanted to see souls saved. Souls like yours tonight. Each one of us has a soul that needs saved. And the Lord looks down with great love upon his creation. He does not want to see us bound in sin. And that is why he's provided salvation. That is why he has provided a way. It tells us, as I said earlier in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is why Jesus was sent. To offer a way to be free from the sin of this world. You know, it's a wonderful thing. If I just bring it back to, to the example of the mission statement. It's a wonderful thing to think 
Whenever someone has a mission statement, it influences all their decisions. It's something that's at the forefront of their mind, and when they're thinking about how should I do this thing, they should be thinking back to that statement. That's how I do this thing. And so God, in his plan, throughout all of time, throughout all of history, we have the whole entirety of the scriptures, which includes the history from the beginning of the world right up until uh, the um, apostles' time. He had it all planned out. He had everything set apart to fulfill his redemption plan. And that's an encouragement for the Christian. Because if God has this plan, has this uh, action set in motion, we know that everything that happens, happens to fulfill it. And when God makes a statement and makes a promise, he will not deviate from it. And so there's no little age cases where something happens that's outside of God's reasoning or God's plan. Everything that happens has been foreordained to happen. It's part of his plan. And even as we think about the cross, the Apostle Peter said this in Acts chapter 2. And he was accusing uh, the men of Israel. And he says in Acts chapter 2 verse 22, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding off it. God chose to send his son down. He had a plan from the beginning of time. The very fact he gave a promise in Genesis. You go back and you read the fall in Genesis. He immediately gave that promise to send a saviour. He knew what was going to happen. And when Jesus was sent, it did happen. The promise was fulfilled. And I suppose as we think about the name of Jesus, we can say, and, and not flippantly, but we can say, but what good is a statement like that if it's not fulfilled? What good is a company or a business that, <clears throat> that makes a mission statement and never actually follows it, never actually goes along with it? But Jesus Christ, he came into this world and we can say, without hesitation, without doubt, that he did save his people from their sins. He did go to the cross. He did die. But he conquered death. He rose again. He had victory over sin and the curse. And so we're able to trust this name Jesus. It's more than just the name of a person who lived a long time ago. It's a statement, a reminder of the one who came down, who was both man and God, and of who still lives today, who still saves today, still saving his people from their sins. 
And he's still offering his salvation to all. As I said, I, I recognize some pieces, but I don't know you all here. I don't know where you're at with the Lord. And this name is something that maybe it was, and maybe has been, just signifies a person that lived thousands of years ago. The actual meaning of the name is lost in you. I'm pleading with you tonight. Take the name of Jesus. Take it at its word. Understand it. And come to him for forgiveness. It is Christ and Christ alone who can save his people from their sins. And he will. But you must call upon him. You must be repentant. You must ask for his mercy to save you from the sins. His grace alone is what can free you from the burden that sin is. I'll just close in.